Welcome to Highball Politics, what America's bartenders are hearing. I'm David Kochel. And I'm Rob Stutzman. Each week, David and I are interviewing a bartender in a different U.S. city and state to find out what people there really care about when it comes to politics and culture. Why bartenders? Because bartenders have the pulse of their patrons and therefore the pulse of America, real America. In every episode, we will feature some incredible cocktail recipes, which you can find in the show notes. If you're a bartender or if you'd like to nominate your favorite bartender to be on our podcast, please email us at highballpolitics at gmail.com. Today, we're talking with Matt Johnson, who co-owns and occasionally tends bar at Imbibe Custom Brews in Reno, Nevada. But before we chat with Matt, let's get a bit of context on what's been going on in the news and why Nevada is important right now to what's going on in America, Rob. Yeah, Nevada. I mean, Kachel, this is a big swing state. There's only probably four or five swing states for the general election that decide... One, are we going to have control of the U.S. Senate between Dems or ours? You got Senator Jackie Rosen is a Democrat up for re-election next year in Nevada. And they just had Senator Cortez Masto narrowly get re-elected last year to hold that critical seat for Democrats. But you got a brand new Republican governor, Joe Lombardo, sheriff of Clark County, which is the big county where Vegas is. So you still very much have this Republican and Democrat elected statewide thing going on there. It's a state that Clinton won, beat Trump there in 16. Mm-hmm. Biden beats Trump there in 20, but very by very narrow margins. This is very much yeah. seen as a state that's in play next year. It's a state that's largely all about Clark County and Vegas. That's where about two-thirds of the 3.2 million people live. But where we're going to be today is in the big swing county up north where Reno is and Sparks. That's Washoe County. And so I'm really excited because this is one of the most important swing counties in America, you know, we were, we were in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, a couple of weeks ago, which yeah. is one of those important swing counties in America. Yeah. Wash shows the same type of thing. Really critical to who's going to end up governing the country. I love it, Rob. Well, why don't we get going? All right, so let's bring on our guest, Matt Johnson, who is the co-owner and occasionally attends bar at Imbibe Custom Brews in Reno, Nevada. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, glad to be here. Hey, yeah, thanks for joining us, Matt. We're glad to get a Nevada episode recorded. Nevada's such an important political state. It's one of the handful of swing states. And where you're at, people may or may not realize this, but Washoe County, where Reno is, is one of the swing counties that matters tremendously in American politics, so that's cool. But it's also kind of a cool place to be. I mean, I think people maybe have the Reno 911 impression, but there's a lot. There's actually, it's, there's a lot of great lifestyle up there in, in Washoe, and you're probably contributing to that. So, tell us all about Imbibe, what you got going, and what you do. Yeah. So Imbibe was uh, a dream that a friend of mine and I had years ago when we were home brewers. Kind of a typical brewery story. A couple of dumb home brewers who decided to go professional and. Uh, start a business. So we opened eight years ago, started on a really small scale, making our own beer, very nano scale equipment. Our budget was also very nano, but we fudged our way through it for a few years and finally, you know, upgraded and were able to produce beer on a scale where you can actually make a little money. And so we've just been slowly growing over time, very conservative growth for a brewery, but we felt like that was the right move. So we opened a second tap room in Sparks, Nevada, which is kind of the sister city to Reno, two months before the COVID shutdown. Ooh. And we rode that out for a while. And 
Now we just expanded that location and we opened a, a giant restaurant next door. So we made it through all the all the shutdown nonsense and came out the other side and decided to keep trying to invest and grow. So now we've got a full food menu, full bar, in addition to all the different beers that we make. First of all, great timing on uh, opening the second location two months before COVID. What's the bar like? I, I mean, how many people are you putting in there? You got TVs on in the background? Or are we really geeking out on kind of craft beers? So our original facility is kind of an old historic brick building in an odd stretch of downtown where it's on a one-way street. There's really no restaurants. There's nothing nearby. So very isolated, but beautiful inside. It's got a nice historic rustic red brick. All the bar tops and tables were were handmade by a, a friend of ours named Mike the Mechanic. So he welds and he does woodwork. And so it's, you know, it's, I, I guess you'd call it a little bit of a hipster brewery vibe there. Our other location is a little more modern and approachable. So we really wanted to have a more public facing tap room from where we started. So we're actually out at this outlet mall Never thought I would open a business at an outlet mall, but this part of town really is a beer desert and we just felt like we could do well. So that little tap room is very crisp, modern, still has some elements of woodwork. And, and we really just try to infuse wood into everything because we do a lot of barrel aging with our beers. And so you'll find that element. There's barrels all over the place. There's wood elements. Not really a sports bar vibe. We do have TVs on, but generally, unless somebody requests that we put a game on, we don't have them on all the time. We're, we're trying to not be a sports bar. I've never heard the term beer desert, which sounds like something that, you know, Republicans and Democrats should oppose by all means. Yes. Yeah, it's like the same thing. <laughs> so that's excellent that you were solving on this. So tell us about a signature beer or ale or two that you're known for or really most proud of. Sure. We're most known for our sour beer, and that's because... We came right out of the gate making a lot of sour beer. Nobody in this area was making any any real sour beer. Those beers take a lot of time. They sit in wine barrels for years and years and sometimes sit in bottles for, for multiple years before they're really ready to drink. So we've been lucky enough to win a lot of awards at the World Beer Cup and Great American Beer Festival and other competitions for those beers. Our reputation is kind of built on those sour beers, but then we've we really try to make something for everyone. One of our more popular beers is called Jarbage, and that is a bourbon barrel-aged Belgian dark strong ale. So a lot of people are out there making bourbon barrel stouts. We decided to go a slightly different route and make something that's still dark and rich, but isn't heavy like a stout. We do a release every year, and we generally sell out of that beer as soon as it goes out the door because it's just, you know, it's high alcohol, rich changes a little bit every year. That reminds me of, and I'm blanking on the specific name, but like Goose Island had that release every year around the holidays that was a little scarce, but it sounds kind of similar. Am I on the right track? Yeah, absolutely. We're jumping on that train, so to speak, trying to do something similar, but distinct. Yeah, for sure. You're on take on it. We've had some brewers on and we've had a lot of fun kind of geeking out with them and learning something. So real quick, Tell us a little bit about why the sours, because I mean, that's an expensive beer to make, right? So you guys were clearly doing this out of a position of passion as as opposed to the, the business plan that gets beer in the in the mug the quickest. Tell us what that's all about for you guys. Sure. Yeah. And you're absolutely right about that. As a home brewer, you get to do a lot of experimentation and eventually you're going to arrive at sour beer because it's a different, completely different approach to making beer. You're encouraging bacteria 
into your beer and wanting it to thrive. Whereas most beer, you're doing the opposite. You're doing everything to keep bacteria out of the beer. So you got to have the right bacteria. You got to have the right conditions. And it's a, it's a waiting game. You know, a year in a barrel, you might taste a beer and think it's disgusting. But a year later, all of a sudden, it might change into something that's interesting and fun. And it's a little bit more like winemaking, to be honest, because you often are doing a lot of blending. So you may not get a single barrel that you love, but if you blend three or four together, then you might come up with something that is more balanced and approachable. Excellent. So we're going to get to politics because we are called highball politics here. But before we do that, you know, Rob and I started this show because we learn a lot about people and places and demographics when we go into a city or a state to do our work. So tell us a little bit about your patrons. Tell us about the kind of people that are coming into both locations and you know, what do they do for a living? And then we'll get to politics. We'll see if you know, you've, you've gleaned any insights from them. And then obviously we want to get your take on things as well. But tell, tell us about the kind of people you're seeing every day. I'd actually say like our two different tap rooms really draw a different demographic. So our downtown Reno location, because it's so isolated, it's a more beer-centric, beer-geek kind of crowd. And then our Sparks Tap Room really is a lot of people don't know our brand, but they see us and they just say, hey, I want to have a beer. So it's a lot more walk-in traffic, a lot more diverse group of people. Just east of town, we have one of the largest industrial parks in the world where Tesla, Google, Switch, Apple, one of each has massive distribution and, and manufacturing centers. And so... That tap room, that sports tap room is on the east end of, of the two cities. And so we, we get a lot of traffic from those companies coming in to have beer after work. A lot of those people are not local, you know, have only been here for a short amount of time. So it's, it's kind of fun to see the clash of local versus, you know, the outsiders. So this is the great thing about the story of, of Washoe is it is growing. You know, Sparks is where what a lot of the housing has come along in the last decade. So it's that clash, right? It's the, it's actually a lot of people from California. Is there a tension or is it just more interesting? And how is that affecting the local culture, especially around politics with so many transplants that have come in over the last 10 years, right? Yeah, there's a little bit of a clash there, but I, I think really it's just locals enjoy poking fun at the transplants from California and complaining about their driving and, and the politics and, and all of that. But I don't think there's really true tension for the most part. You know, our economy has changed drastically the cost of housing, like most places, has just gone out of control. It's hard for people to afford to live here anymore. So you are starting to see that come to fruition. Those are sometimes conversations people are having at the bar. The locals can no longer afford to live here. But at the same time, I think the city, the local governments have really embraced that. And it seems like as a community, we're starting to see the benefit of that growing economy. And so I, I think a lot of people are on board with it. All right, so let's get to politics now. As Rob mentioned, you know, Nevada's a really important state right now, very swingy. It's been kind of right in the middle of the Senate majority thing. Obviously, you've got a legendary, now passed away, former Senate Majority Leader and Harry Reid, who's an institution in Nevada. But it sounds to me, kind of reading up on your bio, you guys have done a lot in politics in the bar. You've had a lot of people through. Why don't you tell us about a little bit of that? Yeah, it's interesting because... We like to think that our business is staying away from politics. And yet there are, there are times where we have felt like hosting an event or hosting a conversation 
is really important. We like to say that we make a beer for everyone and we want everyone to feel welcome no matter what their politics are. So most recently, we partnered with our local NPR station to host an event called Pints and Purple Politics. This was kind of all about our latest legislative session that just ended earlier this month. And, you know, the point obviously was that this is a purple state and it's healthy to have conversations with our elected officials and and really hear what's going on in the legislature. So that was a lot of fun. You know, it's an NPR crowd, so it does draw a more left-leaning demographic, I would say. You know, we've done that. We've hosted some events with our governor in the past. When Bernie Sanders was campaigning, we hosted a little event for him and we had Dick Van Dyke in the building. So that was fun. I think people generally understand that we're not trying to take a political stand necessarily, but that we're open to having a conversation. What was now, Dick Van Dyke doing in Reno? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the follow-up. What, what the I could not tell you. It was the most random thing ever. We didn't know he was coming and that, you know, he shows up and people start losing their minds. Uh, got a great photo with him and my original business partner who's six foot nine standing next to Dick Van Dyke. It was a, it was a pretty special photo op. That's awesome. Because you still have the showrooms there. Do you have any other talent ever come wandering by? Uh, not so much. Unfortunately, the bookings in our local casinos, they're not drawing uh, anyone that's that's terribly sought after or people are getting excited about for the most part. So, so you're saying Hall & Oates hasn't drawn anyone into the into the bar? Or... <laughs> correct. Correct. Or Creedence Clearwater Revisit. Yeah. Yeah. Revi- yeah re- right. Right. Yeah. Sticks with an eye. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Exactly. <laughs> You're being a little modest here because you are a former candidate for mayor. Just tell us about what that was about, what that experience was like. You know, I've been a political junkie for most of my adult life. And there was a time where I had thought about running for city council. And so I had been talking to some folks locally. And long story short, in this last uh, mayoral election, which took place last year, We had a city council person and our mayor, who is also classified as a city council person. Both of them were about to reach their term limit, or had they been reelected, they would have reached their term limit during their term. And so there was this idea that if this went to the Supreme Court in Nevada, that they might end up saying that those two were ineligible to serve. Let's just say the folks who were left over who were running for mayor were probably not people that most of us wanted to to represent us in our city. So <laughs> I was asked by some people, they knew I had thought about maybe running for city council. I was asked to put my name in for mayor on the off chance that these two were deemed ineligible during the election cycle so that I could run a campaign to try to keep some more extremist views out right. of it. So ultimately it was, it was fun and interesting. It was strange. You know, I did go out and meet with some of the unions and I interviewed locally with some of the media, but I really, what I tried to do was just be honest and transparent about why I was on there. And so I never really did mount a campaign because ultimately those two were allowed to continue serving. I'm already thinking of your slogan, Matt. I mean, we could have done a big mail piece for you that has a big break glass in case of emergency, right? You know, label on it. You were going to be there just in case uh, you lost the actual mayor out of the race, <laughs> yeah. right? That was the plan. I, I want to make it, I like it. a great slogan. Matt Johnson, just in case. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I took a lot of flack for it from my customers. I can tell you that much. <laughs> Let's talk about the presidential race in 24 a little bit, because for the last uh, several cycles, so I was involved in the Romney campaign in 08 and in 12 and in 
2016, I was doing the Jeb Bush campaign, and, and Nevada was one of the four carve-out states and still is, at least on the Republican side. So you guys are starting to get a little bit of action right now in the 2024, at least on the Republican side. You probably don't have anything going on with Democrats because nobody's really opposing Biden other than these two kind of vanity candidates. But talk to us about that. What have you seen? What's going on? Are people starting to tune in now? It's interesting. I don't really think people locally are starting to tune in, but it happens to be rodeo week here in Reno. We have a big rodeo. And yeah, Ron DeSantis showed up this weekend at the Reno Rodeo. And if that is not a signal that there's going to be money in campaigning in this state very, very early, I don't know what is. It was it was pretty surprising. It just felt kind of unnecessary. But I think it was also a signal to a lot of us that the dirty campaigns are, are about to begin. But yeah, I don't I don't think anybody locally is really talking about the presidential race much yet, other than just some, you know, your normal complaining about Republicans versus Democrats, whichever side you're on. But it's not something I'm hearing people talk about at bar. So just a little reset. In 16, Trump won the Nevada caucuses, actually performed pretty highly there. Now, again, it's caucuses. We can explain to our listeners that caucus is different than the primary because you don't, you know, vote like a normal election. You go show up in a fire hall or school hall somewhere and vote in person. So Trump won the Nevada caucuses, and he's always had a pretty good base there, although he never won Nevada in the general election. He lost to Hillary and Biden twice by fairly narrow margins because it is a swing state. Even those those patrons that you know are Republican, what kind of vibe are you getting or what are you hearing about Trump these days, especially with the indictment? I haven't heard much since the indictment, but my sense is a lot of people are burnt out on Trump. Now- if you go to a, a rural county next door to Washoe County, that is definitely not the case. For sure. Yeah. He's He's got his base heavy in our rural, the rural parts of our state. But locally, I just, I think people are fried on all the controversy, you know, the over the top social media commentary in capital letters. I, I just think <laughs> at least in this county, that's not what sways people. It's something of substance. So that's my impression. Well, at Washi has really become, like we said at the top, the Swing County, a very classic suburban county. I mean, your growth has been a lot of college-educated voters. It's become a bit bluer over the last half decade or so. But you still have a Republican congressman, Mark Amaday, former client of mine, disclaimer. I did his ads when he first got elected. And Washu still voted for Governor Sisolak, but it was a very narrow margin, which really helped you get to a Republican governor, Joe Lombardo. So Amaday is a bit of an institution up there. I'm kind of curious what you hear about him, if anything. And then what's the reaction to the new governor? Who's, by the way, it's, it's significant. Sisolak is the only incumbent governor to have lost the real fact in 22, you have a unique circumstance there. You're the only state that threw out their their governor. So what's the reaction to Lombardo and how's Amade doing up there? Yeah. To add to that, you know, we elected Catherine Cortez Masto back to the Senate right. yes. as our Democratic senator. And we elected Joe Lombardo, our Republican governor. And that happens in this state, right? There's a lot of people somewhere in the middle. They're just not predictable, you know, one way or the other, left-leaning or right-leaning. So- Lombardo, he really threaded the needle in this state, and people here like moderate politicians. I, I think if mm. you look back at our history of governors, we've had a lot of moderate governors who who can pull from both sides of the aisle, and 
Lombardo did that. And what you've seen, even as he's been elected, is, you know, everybody was wondering, like, is is he going to take some extreme positions now that he's been elected, even though he tried to stay kind of moderate during the campaign? But really, after this legislative session, he's kind of been all over the place. He's vetoed bills that people didn't expect him to, and he's signed bills that that people didn't expect him to. Mm. So I think from an overall Nevada perspective, people are probably pretty happy that he is willing to to negotiate with both sides. And then, you know, Amade is really, I would say he's the least known politician in this state because there's just zero competition from the Democratic side. The way the boundaries are drawn, it's damn near impossible for a Democrat to ever compete. And so he really is just quiet. We we don't hear much about him, even in this county. Must have been you those know. ads Rob did for him to get. That's right, man. We put it away. Never Bank- look back. <laughs> Vanquish the Devs for good. Well, that's right. The redistricting uh, did end up favoring a lot. Mark. Yeah, he's, a, he's in a very safe seat at this point. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the sort of how the governor's behaving. I, you know, we're, we're seeing fewer and fewer states that have some divided control. And where there is divided control, you often see, you know, outcomes in policies that, you know, people generally like a little better because there have to be some compromise. All right. So we were talking about Trump and the insane all caps social media. What about Sleepy Joe? Do people talk about Biden, Harris? We would love to ask about Kamala Harris as well, because obviously, um, you know, the actuarial tables aren't super great for Joe Biden to be around forever. But what do people think of the president? How's he doing? There's not much chatter. There really is. And Vice President Harris, even less so. And that I'm sure will not surprise you. You know, he did win the state. Biden did win the state. I, I think people are generally just kind of unexcited about Joe Biden, even though he's been fairly successful in some of the things he's tried to do. There's lots of people who make snarky comments about his age and his mental capacity and all of that, but it's generally, you know, people who are not really paying attention to politics, just looking for something to complain about. So, but when you do hear something, it goes to age and mental acuity. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen any specific polling in Nevada about this, but the national polling, you know, I mean, it's, it's very clear the country does not want to see a rematch between Trump and Biden. And yet they're both on track right now to be successful in their nominating contest. But I imagine that Nevada's not an outlier. I would guess that if Democrats were really kind of given an option for somebody else who was competent, well-known, maybe a little famous, you know, they'd, they'd probably take a hard look at it. He's just not getting challenged by anybody but RFK Jr. and uh, what's her name, Marianne Williamson. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, when the primaries were happening, people in this state were not excited about Biden at that point. I think a strong competitor could get people excited, but I'm just not sure if that's going to ever happen. Yeah. No, his, his vote has always been more anti-Trump than pro-Biden, although you know, South Carolina, obviously, in the Democratic primary really brought it home for him. But it's going to be a tough contest in Nevada this time. I, I would guess it's going to be another one of those states. A lot of money gets spent, and it'll be in play in the White yeah. House race. It's one of those affordable states, as we say, to do advertising. So unfortunately, you're going to be subjected to a lot of it, probably you're starting in the fall, by Republicans. Whether it's primary or caucus, it's going to be early. It's going to be in February. So Nevada's interesting in that there's really just these two metro centers, Vegas in the south, which frankly is about two-thirds of the state, Washoe and the metro area up there, and it's like another fifth. And then the rural, you you alluded to the rural areas. I mean, you're talking about some of the reddest don't tread on me real estate in America, right? Super conservative people out in the in the rural areas. 
tell us about the north south thing you know does it feel like it's a connected state to you living there especially as a businessman or is it very much you know the greater reno area is its own orbit and then there's that thing down there in vegas that most people don't necessarily even go to unless they probably go to the reason most people go to vegas which is they have some fun from my perspective it's a clearly these are two separate planets in some ways and you even see that when the legislature is in session there's almost always yeah. controversy because our session takes place in carson city the capital which is in northern nevada very close to reno and there's always this complaint is northern nevada being favored in these bills is vegas being left out why don't we move the capital to vegas we're eight hours apart by vehicle and so you could get to san francisco a hell of a lot faster than you can get to vegas right. There's not a lot of connectivity there. And then, you know, you have the rural areas where it's very red heavy, but there's these little bastions of Democrats and blue leaning people out there as well. And I, I just think it's kind of a fun state because we, we have a lot of clashes, but, you know, people can get along too. So one thing that's big in this state is hunting. You see people who hunt from all political perspectives. We host a, a pipe night with a group of outdoorsmen and hunters and it's so fun because this is where you could really learn what people are thinking because you truly okay. have people from every perspective in the room. But that's something that people take pride in in this state. And also alcohol and firearms. always oh, it's a good combination, I think, too. <laughs> and the Vegas Strip. Yeah. So, Matt, one of the things we like to do on this show is ask you guys our bartenders to come up with a couple ideas for local politicians. And so we started this with the Trump and the Biden in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which were a lot of fun. And what we've asked you to do for us today is we want you to do that throwback. We want you to do a Harry Reid and a Joe Lombardo and tell us about these drinks that you're bringing us today. Absolutely. So, so for the Harry Reid, you know, I started thinking about it and immediately I came up with this drink that locally we call the pecan punch. It's a famous drink that's connected to the bass culture in this state. And if you go to any bass restaurant in this state, you're going to want to have a pecan punch because it's, it's really about the only place you can find it. But obviously, Harry Reid used to throw punches, not just in the Senate, but he was actually a boxer in his early <laughs> yes. days. So yes, it just was. felt like this had to be the most fitting drink for him. So it, it includes this kind of bitter citrusy liqueur called Amer Picon, a little bit of grenadine, some club soda, and some brandy. And then it's garnished with a lemon peel. And, and I would say if you've never had one, most people drink it and they think, this is not good. This is not an enjoyable <laughs> cocktail. And yet, and yet it's like so popular. Like it's just something you have to do when you go to a Basque restaurant is get this drink. So the great but, thing about this, too, it's worth pointing out that Harry Reid was Mormon. Yeah. So, as was so, I. I was raised Mormon. Oh, okay. All right. Well, as far as I know, Harry never went Jack Mormon and drank. So we were going to assume he was a teetotaler. I believe that's probably correct. However, though, being a good politician, he would know exactly what this cocktail is because of all the Basque barbecues he probably went to over the years. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was funny because I was raised Mormon, and obviously the Mormons are not were not big fans of Harry Reid. But, you know, he he stuck to that his whole life, so it's it's very interesting. But, yeah, he— Obviously, one of the most skilled politicians ever, whether you love him or hate him. Yeah. They call it the Reed machine here in Nevada. The yeah. machine still elects people like Catherine Cortez Masto, you know? Well, guess well, those are early, early vote on the Vegas Strip of all those culinary union workers. It's the machine. 
Yeah. As the former Romney strategist, I have to say, I, I'm not a fan of Harry Reid. He was a political pugilist and an actual pugilist. And I remember him saying that Mitt Romney didn't pay his taxes for 10 years, which was yeah. a total falsehood. So I, I'm, I'm not over it. I'm not over it yet. Two Mormons right there that didn't like each other very much. Right. Right. Exactly. All right. So what do you got for the Governor Lombardo, the new governor that people seem to like so far? Yeah, Sheriff. Now, Governor Lombardo, I came up with using our beer, Jarbage, that bourbon barrel-aged Belgian beer. So Jarbage is a town up in northeastern Nevada. It's a wilderness area. It's also this, this little town that you can only get to by dirt road. And it has a controversy surrounding it. Years ago, the folks who lived there opened up a road that had been closed to try to save fish habitat. And they went out with pickaxes and reopened this road because they're very anti-government. And it's just funny that you have a designated federal wilderness area next to this little town of rebellious people. So we chose the name Jarbage because of all of that. We like all of those things. So it's a big, bold beer, right? And it sort of fits the rural part of the state. But what I did was, you know, we want to make a beer float with that. So we're going to put it over vanilla ice cream. So you have this dark beer, you got vanilla ice cream, and then we're going to add some raspberry syrup to it. And for me, that captures what Mr. Lombardo has done. I mean, he has threaded that needle. He's won people from all perspectives. You know, he's not just the rural guy. He's he's a Clark County guy. And so it just it's a blend of all these different things. Wait, can you put beer over ice cream? Is that is that a thing? Or is that a thing for anything, man? <laughs> I, I bought a soft serve machine for this restaurant specifically so we could make beer floats. You did. Oh my goodness. That's amazing. Okay. That goes on the list. The stuff I got to try. Put it on your 4th of July list, Kajal. I like it. I like float. it. Those are very thoughtful. I do appreciate hearing about garbage. That's an interesting story. And I do think the uh, pecan punch is a nice way to tie things back to Harry Reid and his uh, history as a boxer. So those are a lot of fun. Thanks for bringing those. So Matt, this has been great having you. I want you to specifically plug, and this will be in the show notes, but specifically plug the addresses of your locations. Hopefully we have some listeners up there in Washoe, a few friends I'm going to obligate to listen to this, but you know, it's also along a major thoroughfare and people stop. So tell us the locations. Yeah, absolutely. Our original location is 785 East 2nd Street in Reno. It's just off I-80 near Wells Avenue. And then our big restaurant and tap room now out in Sparks, I'm not even going to give you the address. I'm just going to tell you that it's at the outlets at Legends, where Shields is, and you can't miss it when you drive by on the freeway. So the people that are like overnighting, uh, pulling off the freeway, it's probably the downtown location, sounds like the one to check out. Or if they're spending a weekend over at one of the casinos, they should come on down. Yeah. I spent numerous weekends in Reno for volleyball tournaments for my daughter yes. at one stage in life. And I'm really disappointed that I, I didn't have you in my life at that time because I could have used some garbage, I think. Yeah, it is one of those cities. We host a lot of those big tournaments. And you can come to Shields and get you know volleyball gear and a gun, and then you can come have a beer at our place, whatever you want. What a country. I love it. Well, it's a great country. Well, Matt, listen, thank you for coming on. We really enjoyed having you. We've been waiting to get some Nevada insights for a number of episodes now. So we're glad we found you and we are very appreciative that you were able to do this. Thanks again. Yeah. Thanks a lot for having me. All right. That was great. We got Nevada in the books and Reno, which people probably know less about than Vegas. What were your impressions and takeaways, David? Well, first of all, I thought he was a great 
guest, you can tell he's plugged into politics. He knows the language. He gets it. He was able to describe things for us in a way that I think is really useful for the political junkies we have following the show. Like you said, it's just a, it's a really important place because we're down to a handful of swing states now. And this is one of them. And like you said, it's one that's in reach too. It's affordable. It's a place that you can play. I think for a long time to come, unless it sort of continues to trend a little more blue, I think it's always going to be that way. It's going to be one of those states we spend a lot of money on to, to determine Senate control. What I wanted to do, Rob, too, is, you know, we've been pronouncing it Nevada. The, Which is the correct pronunciation. Th that's you the live there. correct yeah. pronunciation. That's right. So Jeb Bush, who was my candidate in 2016, who was a fluent Spanish speaker, speaks Spanish in the home, had the worst time trying to figure out how to pronounce it because the Spanish pronunciation is Nevada, and that's what he said. And so we had to just, you know, drill into his head that he had to say Nevada when you go to Nevada. Apple, Nevada, that's how the A is pronounced. And then to throw another curveball at it, in my home state of Iowa, actually my home county, Story County, which is where Ames and Iowa State University is, the county seat is a town spelled the same but pronounced Nevada. So uh, it's like I've had this stuff in my head for so long trying to figure out how to get politicians to pronounce you, them both the right you, way locally. Yeah. I mean, this is treacherous. I mean, when, when I worked for Governor Schwarzenegger, there was a county in the north where Chico is, and it's Butte, Butte County. But unfortunately, he once called it Butte County, which is you know, more of a German pronunciation. So, yes, it's our job to keep these politicians on track. The thing about Nevada is you will hear it commonly with East Coast news anchors, too, or the talking heads on CNN or MS or Fago got Nevada, and you can tell they don't know what they're talking about. And anyway, a shout out to one of the great cops and caretakers of this truth, which is our, our friend John Ralston at the Nevada yes. Independent, who is the political reporter guru of all things Nevada, who's coined the term, we matter. We matter, hashtag. Yeah, they, yes. they're they're look they're early in the nomination process for both parties. They're a swing state, so right out the jump, I love is when some politician will say the pronunciation wrong, and yeah. he will immediately jump on Twitter and and call them out as as he should. So it's yeah, it's one of those tells that can really get a reporter in trouble. As Matt alluded to, we had Ron DeSantis there up in Reno this past weekend at the Basque Fry, and I'm assuming he got all the pronunciations right, or we would have heard about it. And we would have. But this is the part of our job here at this podcast, Rob, is to show politicians the way. You don't eat a corn dog at the Iowa State Fair when no cameras around ever. Never. And never. you pronounce Nevada properly when you're never in put a never put a corn dog <laughs> in your mouth when there's a camera. No. <laughs> all right. Well, Cotchell, that's a wrap, I think. Yeah, that's it for this episode of Highball Politics. Thanks for giving us a shot, and the pun is always intended. And join us next week as we pull up a bar stool in another politically and culturally important state and city in this country to interview a bartender, because that's how we find out what the locals think and what they're drinking. Until then, Kachel, cheers. Cheers, Rob. Highball Politics is a podcast presentation of Highball Media. Executive producers are David Kochel and me, Rob Stetsman. Our producer is Miranda Perrin. Please send your bartender nominations and any questions to highballpolitics at gmail.com. And find us on social media. We're at Highball Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you were brave enough to make this week's signature cocktail, please remember to tag your pics of this week's with the hashtag Highball Podcast. And if you want to support our show, please subscribe to Highball Politics wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star review, and please share this episode with your friends. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.